Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. If you have a Bible, would you please grab it and open with me to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse uh, 13. In your bulletin, the text that we'll study will be in there. Notice that the title says 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 12. And you can be seated just for a moment as I introduce it. It's actually verses 13 all the way down to the end of the chapter at verse 40. In chapters 1 through 14 of the book of 1 Corinthians... Paul is answering the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? What is the spiritual life? And what does the spiritual life look like when we are all together in gathered worship? And this morning, I want to walk through what is probably one of the thorniest texts in the New Testament. People either tend to ignore 1 Corinthians 14 because it is hard to interpret. Or people jump headlong into it and they just go nuts trying to figure out exactly what every clause and phrase means and miss the point Paul is trying to make. So this morning I'm going to take you onto a balance beam and we're going to walk through 1 Corinthians 14 together. And I'm going to do the best that I can, the best that I am able to explain what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians 13 through verse 40. And if you don't like that, then you can go jump into the jungle of this text yourself and then we can talk about it this week. If you're willing and able, would you stand together as we read 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through verse 40. The point of chapter 14 is this. Speak in an intelligible and intentional way so that the church may be built up. With that main point, please hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, 
By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for the unbeliever but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And by the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. The grass withers and the flowers fade. God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Marvel Comics has over 10,000 unique characters who use their superpowers for good. Over 10,000. And there are characters that I don't know the names of 99% of them. Do you? They use their powers for peace, to protect and defend and to bless the world. And sometimes when I'm stuck in traffic about 4.30 or 5 on 169, I think, oh man, it would be great to be Spider-Man or Iron Man right about now. Well, I hate to break it to you, Christian. You don't have superpowers like the Avengers. And all their amazing imagination, that's not you. You have something better. Do you know that? 
Before Jesus ascended, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to leave you in John 14, 26. He said it very end of chapter 15 of John 16, 20. I'm going to leave you another comforter who's going to help you. An alos parakletos in Greek. I'm going to leave you a helper. Someone who is going to come. And we saw this helper come to us in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit permanently indwelt believers. It wasn't something that he just came for the day and left like he did in the Old Testament. But beginning with Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit permanently indwelt believers who were on this side of the cross waiting for Jesus' return. Oh, Spider-Man, eat your heart out. Christian Tony Stark's got nothing on you. And the question for us is if we are called to be spiritual, if we're indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, what difference does it make? And Paul has said to the church in Corinth that the Lord has given you each spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he said it is good to use the different gifts God has given you. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is even better and it is in fact a necessity if you're going to use these gifts that you use them or you seek to use that you desire, to, uh, that you seek gifts that you don't yet have but you want, you eagerly desire to use them and you use them in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And using gifts in love means that you speak in an intelligible and an intentional way to build up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So, this morning, I want to walk you through this text, and I want to do just a little Bible study. There are not going to be three points in a poem. I'm just going to walk you through this thorny thistle of a jungle of this text and help explain it to you. And then we're going to talk about what it means for us at this church in this day and age. Are you ready? The point Paul is trying to make is this. Speak in an intelligible and intentional way so that the church might be built up. In verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, Paul commends them and us to pursue love and earnestly desire to be zealous for the spiritual gifts. Give yourself to the gifts that God gives to you. Gifts edify. Gifts build up. Some gifts, like the gift of tongues, personally edify. And some gifts, like the gift of prophecy, as we're going to see in a minute, encourage us when we're all together. Now, let me just say a little bit about the gift of tongues and come go back to what I said last week. In Acts chapter 2, tongues there are clearly foreign languages spoken at the time. Those who did not hear them came into Jerusalem, didn't understand the apostles. When they preached, they heard them. They heard them in their own language, it says. Clearly, in Acts chapter 2, tongues is a foreign language that each hearer heard clearly the gospel and responded. But it is more difficult, however, in Acts 19, Acts 10, 1 Corinthians 14, to know exactly what Luke and Acts or Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 means by the gift of tongues. It is hard and people have debated this for a long time. It appears by the plain reading of the text 
that the that tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 refers to a gift of speech through making sounds and using unknown foreign or uh, angelic languages. Bypasses the speaker's conscious reflection in prayer. And such speech is experienced in a stream of praise in which a sense of nearness and love of God overflows into adoration, praise, and gratitude. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, speaking to God in prayer in a language that results in an intimate and personal communion with him is what Paul means here by tongues. And this is amazingly edifying to speak in a tongue. Lauren sometimes says, I speak in tongues when I sing in the shower because I sing so off key. When I pray, when you pray to the Lord, some of you, some of you pray to the Lord and you just don't know how to pray. and You just yearn for your father to hear you. Do you want to call that a tongue? Okay. Some of you actually may have the gift of tongues. When you pray to the Lord, you, you pray with such intimacy with the Lord that you may cry out with sounds that nobody besides you would possibly understand. You know what this is like in the nearness and intimacy. And Paul's point here is that there were people in Corinth who were praying in a deeply intimate way before the Lord. The problem was they were doing it in public worship. Nobody could understand what they were saying. And when unbelievers came to worship, they saw these people speaking in strange tongues and they thought, these guys are nuts! They're out of their minds. And they got out of Dodge as fast as they could. Further, the problem with tongues then and now is that many cults use tongues as a sign of conversion. And so, being carried away into aesthetic utterances was true then at the Temple of Aphrodite. And it's true sometimes in cults today. And the outsider might ask, is this movement legitimately Christian or is this just another cult? It's a good question. And so he says in verse 13, when you pray in your private prayer language, don't hoard the experience all to yourself. Pray for the insight and the ability to bring others into that intimacy. If you pray in tongues, your spirit prays, but your mind lies, lies fallow and all the knowledge goes unused. So what's the solution? Paul says, well, you should pray in a tongue. My spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Verse 15. I will pray in my spirit. But I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. But I will also sing with my mind. In other words. Paul calls us not to just some kind of extravagant emotionalism. And he doesn't also. He doesn't call us to some, some barren intellectualism. He says both are important. But when you pray in an ecstatic way, do it in private in the comfort of your own home because it's confusing for other people. Instead, he commends another gift, the gift of prophecy. Now, I've already bored you half to death talking about tongues, so get ready for prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy in the New Testament is simply... Speaking merely human words to report something God brings to your mind. 
This might be called congregational prophecy as opposed to canonical prophecy, which is what Isaiah or Jeremiah did. This is not the revealing of new revelation before the Lord. The canon of scripture is closed. The Bible is done. There's 66 books. There's not 67. And you don't add to it. So your prophecy is just speaking in mere human words to others to bring something to them that God has brought to your mind. This happened... Seven minutes ago, when Kim DeRoe came up to me just before the service and grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Brother, there is no burden too heavy to lay down to the Lord. Rest in Him as you preach. She didn't mean for that to be prophetic, but she, by mere human words, brought something to her mind to encourage me. That is one application of the gift of prophecy. It was beautiful. It was so helpful to me to get ready to help me preach. Sometimes we want to make prophecy some kind of like magical thing. In Deuteronomy 18 in the Old Testament, canonical prophecy, revealing God's word, saying, thus saith the Lord, as the prophets did, communicated God's word directly to God's people in an authoritative way. But that is not what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about a congregational kind of prophecy. And this is something that happens almost every week in our community groups. And it should happen more and more and more. So if you are coming to this text excited about, you know, calling yourself a prophet, getting a badge of honor, listen. You've probably been doing this to your, for your brothers and sisters for a long time. Every time you encourage someone with what God's word says, you are being prophetic. Preaching is a kind of prophecy, but it's not... Um, merely limited to preaching? Notice what Paul says. He says that it's not barren intellectualism and it's also not ecstatic emotionalism. That's important. If you're going to sing, sing with your spirit, but also sing with your mind. Lose yourself as you sing worship songs. Do it! But also don't check your mind at the door. If you're going to give thanks, give thanks with your spirit. But don't check your mind at the door. Because otherwise, how can people in the position of an outsider, verse 16, say amen to your thanksgiving when they don't even know what you're saying? Brothers, verse 20, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking be mature. Remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well? And do you remember the issue between the Jews and the Samaritans? The, the Samaritans had their own temple. The Jews had their own temple. The Samaritans were characterized by those who had ecstatic speech, who gave themselves into the emotionalism of worship. The Jews were the barren intellectuals. And what does Jesus say? There will be a day, one day, when people will worship in spirit and truth. It is neither the carnival nor the crematorium. <laughs> it is food for the soul and it is fuel for the spirit. And Paul is not saying that tongues are unimportant, but rather they are not to be a distraction in public prayer and worship. 
And in verse 20, he goes on to say, don't be children in your thinking, using your minds, but be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongue and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay, get ready to go into the jungle. Here we are. This, this quote is from Isaiah chapter 28. And Paul roughly translates this text from Hebrew into the Greek here. And what the context of Isaiah chapter 28 is, is that the, the Lord is speaking to people in Israel who have hardened their hearts to his voice. And the Lord is saying to them, I'm going to bring about Assyrians who speak in strange tongues and they're going to declare my word to you. But because you so hardened your heart, their tongues will be a sign of your destruction. Not for your building up. They will in that way be a sign for you of your destruction before the Lord because you have hardened your heart. Notice what it says in the text. Thus, tongues are a sign not for the believers but for the unbelievers. These are the unbelieving people in Israel who hardened their heart, who heard tongues and they were a, not a positive sign but a negative sign of their judgment. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul is saying, but prophecy is a positive sign for believers. What does he mean by that? It's a positive sign for believers in that when you prophesy, you encourage each other in the Lord. It is a way for you to be built up, to be strengthened, to be comforted, and to be edified, which is what he says prophecy is. The one who prophesies, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And so Paul here uses an Old Testament text. Listen, I know this is, I know this is putting you to sleep, but stay with me. He uses an Old Testament text to communicate that tongues for the unbelievers in the room who have hardened their heart, it is a sign of judgment for them. But prophecy is better. Because prophecy encourages believers, it strengthens and it builds them up. If therefore the whole church comes together, verse 23, and all speak in tongues, and an outsider uh, unbeliever enters, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Why? Because they won't understand a cotton-picking thing you're doing. But if all prophecy if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters in, he is convicted by all because he sees people encouraging each other in the Lord and he hears, even though they don't yet believe, he hears God's word going forth between people sharing in mere human words something God calls to mind. And notice what happens in their hearts. He is called to account by all. He is convicted. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And he falls on his face and he worships God. And he declares that God is really among you. For some of you, this is happening right now. Even in the midst of this thorny jungle of a text. So then Paul says, okay, so what? <laughs> when you come together... Now he's talking about the way that worship should be done. 
Each one has a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. Let those things be done for building up. Church back in Corinth was probably more like... Um, Oh, uh, a, a Puritan, um, a Puritan gathering at the very beginning of the New World, where they would gather together. It probably felt worship probably felt more like something that happens at your community groups than at worship, where there is um, a clergyman in a monologue. And so, in Corinth at the time. There wasn't somebody there who was teaching God's word. Paul left elders and, the, and they would guide the people to stand up one at a time. And they would encourage each other. Somebody, somebody may say, you know, uh, Matthew 19. We should, we should pursue our spouse and not pursue divorce. Except for the reasons that Jesus provides us. And you'd have somebody in the room who would be convicted by that. And then you'd have somebody else who might stand up in the room and say that we should trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Do that. John, lean into that. Trust him. And so in this way that people would encourage each other in the church meeting. Are you following me? All right, I see some of you have a sleep, but some of you are following me. This is, this is what Paul is trying to say. You should do it in an orderly way. And so if somebody has um, a tongue, then the tongue should be interpreted. And if there's not an interpreter present, keep the tongues to yourself. <laughs> keep them private. And let others weigh what is said. That is, other congregants in the room. Each of us, like good Bereans, Assessing the truth and seeing if it truly is scriptural. And Paul wants this to be the case in all the churches at the time. And then he gets to verse 34. Volunteers to preach this part of the Bible. Nobody? It says the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. What's Paul saying? Paul is simply saying this. Women, you're welcome to prophesy. He, has said, he says that earlier in 1 Corinthians. You're welcome to encourage each other. You're welcome to encourage the body. But don't speak in a way that is authoritative to usurp the role that Christ has left the church for men to lead it. So it's okay to speak. Just don't speak in an authoritative way. That's basically Paul's point. And he's t talking specifically about worship. Where in this case there were women who were constantly interrupting <laughs> worship. And Paul just goes off the handle on them for a second. And says stop talking so much. Because you're distracting people from the heart of worship. He, Paul's not being misogynistic. He was incredible. Jesus raised the value of women in that society so much beyond what we recognize would make our noses bleed. But Paul in this text is saying, if you're going to have orderly worship, men and women, don't speak in such a way that usurps the authority of the local church. That's what he's trying to say. And if you're curious about it, then, then ask your husbands. Ask them. 
because this particular issue was predominant among women, Paul could have said, of course, the same thing. In fact, he does. He spends 14 chapters saying the same thing to men and women. But he just highlights the women in verse 34 and verse 35. And then in verse 36, Paul goes on the offensive. Do you think that when you prophesy or when you speak in tongues that the word of God comes through you to others? Are you the only one it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. It's okay to think that you're going to encourage each other in God's word, but what I am saying to you is authoritative and it is canonical. Paul was aware of his status as an apostle, although as one untimely born. And if anyone does not recognize my authority, Paul says, then he is not recognized. And so, verse 39, he summarizes, earnestly desire to prophesy. And notice, he doesn't say ignore tongues. He doesn't say don't talk about it. He doesn't say explain it away. He says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. But, all things should be done decently and in order. You notice the bulletin uh, looks a little different this morning, doesn't it? Then that it's annotated and that I, I, man, I went to CVS this week and I bought my first pair of reading glasses and I knew I would need it when I saw how small the print is on this annotated part of the bulletin. But notice that we said last week that Paul wants worship to be intelligible. He wants it to be for the building up of the church and he wants it to be intentional. And the intentionality of our service, we try to explain why we do what we do. This is not like a rock concert and a TED talk. We try to honestly walk you through what it would be like for Jesus. And he's here to be in the room. And so I encourage you this week to take this bulletin and read through these annotated explanations. And parents, use this to explain to your kids why we at Trinity do the things that we do in worship. And if you're, if you're, um, if you're curious and want to learn more on how to pray through the bulletin, then outside on the table as you leave, there are these little cards that, says, that say quiet time using the bulletin. And it will walk you through how do you have a quiet time with scripture using your bulletin to guide you. Like we don't print these things because, you know, we print them because we want you to take them home <laughs> and use them. We could easily put it all on the screen. But this is a tool if you'll avail yourself to use it that way. And so we want you to see that worship is done with intentionality. And it's purposeful. So if we were to live out the text of 1 Corinthians 14. If we were to speak to each other in mere human words. To report something that God brings to our mind. That's what prophecy means. Congregational prophecy. As opposed to canonical prophecy. What would this church look like? Well, it would look a lot of the ways that it looks now. People would be encouraging each other. But it would look like people who earnestly desire the greater gifts as fruits of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. What does that mean? The gifts that so effectively encourage your brother or sister through the visible telling or the ever-deepening communion with the Lord, either privately with tongues or publicly with prophecy. 
earnestly desire those gifts. It would look like people who pray for the gift of tongues and prophecy as scripture commands us to do. Now that's really uncomfortable for some of you. But it says pray for the gift of tongues and these are not these are not uh, gifts that confuse they're gifts that build up encourage provide order if you have the gift of tongues enjoy it privately if you have the gift of prophecy would you use it to comfort strengthen and encourage believers Maybe that means this week you write a note to someone and just say, hey, I just want you to know that I deeply appreciate you. And this is something God has called to my mind. Let me encourage you not to use some of the language that has confused you all these years when people say, I have a word from the Lord. That's not helpful language if I can be so bold. Because it's confusing. And it impinges upon their conscience as though God were saying this directly. No, God has said what he's going to say through his word. And he wants to encourage you to encourage other people and to receive encouragement from others. But be careful with the kind of language that you use. And Tulsa, of course, is so well known for this kind of language. A word from the Lord or, or God spoke to me and said. Instead, say, God brought this to mind. That may, may be a gentler way to say it. And test the sea to weigh what is said. Verse 29. It's not canonical. It's to be an encouragement to you. Weigh what is said. Because not all congregational prophecy might be valid or true. It's a reality of living in a fallen world. What might it mean for us as a church? It might mean that as a community group that we pray together. Perhaps in a very intentional way that the Lord will help us know what our gifts are and to use those gifts. It might mean that we faithfully pray and beg and ask God to give us leaders of this church who can help us understand parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, like 1 Corinthians 14. And so it might mean for those of you who have not yet nominated an elder or deacon to lead you that maybe this text is an encouragement for you to go and to do that. We have two more weeks to nominate elders and deacons. Have you nominated an elder or deacon? Please do so. You can find on the back of the bulletin how to do it. You're encouraging the body as you do that by telling the elders, this man I see has leadership. This man I trust has the Holy Spirit's work in his life. And has the qualifications to be an elder or a deacon. It might mean that seekers and doubters and the curious and unbelievers are blown away by how welcome they are in this church. They are welcome. But they're welcome because you make them welcome. People can see shoddiness and shallow relationships in a heartbeat. Nobody has time for that. <laughs> but what would it be like if the church honestly recognized that the biggest sinner in the room, if I asked that question, who's the biggest sinner in the room, every one of our hands would go up because we would say, I am. Because we know that grace has changed everything about us. And so, brothers and sisters, speak in an intelligible and intentional way so that the church might 
be built up using your gifts. The gift of tongues, yes, but especially the gift of prophecy. It's an enormous blessing for the protection, for the blessing, for the preservation of peace, and for the defense of the gospel for the common good. God doesn't need 10,000 Marvel superheroes because you know what? He did it with one. Jesus is the true prophet. How did Christ execute the office of a prophet? He executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. The Westminster Divines wrote in the 17th century. Jesus is the true prophet who said no one has ever seen God but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. The author of Hebrews says long ago in various and sundry ways God communicated through the prophets but in these last days he has spoken by his son whom he is appointed to be heir of all things and through whom he made the world. Jesus is our true prophet. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is our true prophet. And now I commend you to God, Luke writes, and to the very word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are being sanctified. Acts chapter 20. And John says, These things are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. You know, Jesus was so good using words, wasn't he? He was so good. And he commends you to use words to encourage each other. Prophecy. And the one time when Jesus could have prophesied to save his skin, it says that he was silent before Pilate. And Jesus didn't prophesy. Although it would have just taken one word to change the direction of that trial. He was silent before his shearers. So that you, Trinity, might have the strength and courage in light of what he has done on the cross for you. To empower you to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. The strength of this church is found in the prayers of its people and in the encouragement that comes from one another. Not how gifted the worship team is, not how gifted the pastor is, not how great the programming is. It is found in the honest relationships that are in the chairs in this room. Be the church behind our true prophet, the Lord Jesus, and come to his table this morning resting in his grace that he has gifted you in particular ways for the building up of the church, for its strengthening, and for its comfort. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.